0: Whether you're listening on YouTube, Spotify, or otherwise, this is the Pro Shot Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Raines, along with Alex Fortedal and Cameron Reeser. And today we have a very special guest with us. He's a journalist, he's a prospect analyst, and he's one of Sportsnet's best broadcasters. Please welcome to the show, Sam Cosentino. So Sam, how are you feeling? And thank you for joining us this afternoon.
1: Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Staying safe. So uh, that seems to be pretty good so far. I'm wishing you and uh, you guys and the listeners well. Been some crazy times, and it's been pretty tough to find the escape in sports these days with not too much going on. But we got uh, you know a World Series game here tonight, and hopefully, you know each of the three junior leagues can uh, you know can get moving here at, at full speed. I know the Quebec League's done a good job in the Maritimes, but uh, be nice to see everyone get up to speed here as we look at the December first date for the OHL, which is uh, I think likely to be moved at some point, and uh, the January eighth date, the new date for the WHL.
0: Absolutely, and we're, we're glad to hear that you're staying safe um, through this difficult time. I know that uh, with sports, well, hockey not being on quite yet, it's a little bit tough as well. But uh, yeah, it's like you said, at least we've got baseball now. The first question that I wanted to ask you here is, so the NHL season's been up and down this year since the stoppage of play, the draft, and everything in between that. But overall, I wanted to ask you about the playoffs, and more specifically about the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. Do you feel that they worked well in terms of not only the operation for the games, but player safety?
1: Yeah, you know what? I, I was really impressed. I know when the idea first came out and they were floating around a bunch of different cities and I know Vegas was being mentioned as one and and I thought to myself, I remember having a conversation with Eric Angles, who's our, our correspondent in Montreal, does such a good job covering the Canadians. And I said, "I don't I just don't see it. I think things are a little too footloose and fancy free over there for for them to get into a bubble situation. And of course it, it turned out to be Toronto and Edmonton. And, you know, you have to give um, Steve Mayer and his group from the NHL, a lot of credit for making sure that they um, did the best that they could in terms of, uh, you know, the regular creature comforts. Uh, but most importantly, they hit the nail on the head in terms of the safety, you know, no negative tests able to transition teams from the East into uh, into Edmonton for the for the final, and, and then actually award a Stanley Cup when I don't think uh, at the start of it many people thought that would happen. So they did an amazing job in that regard. I know there's been some articles that have come out since that time uh, detailing some of the things that, that players thought that they could have done better, um, but you know I think it was a real a real success. Uh, for them having given out the cup and you know if you ever have to get into this situation again you have a real good blueprint on which to to work on moving forward
2: absolutely um, I absolutely agree with you on that point the NHL uh, did, an, did an, an absolutely incredible job when it came to making sure the players were staying safe and Russell and Russell able to play good hockey as Tampa Bay won the cup in a very hard fought playoffs so of course congrats to them and congrats to the NHL on on performing such a such a big task and making sure that the players are safe and they're able to award us Stanley cup this year. Now focusing a bit on a really big NHL event that happens yearly, which is the NHL draft, the 2020 NHL draft that took place just a few weeks ago. And if, and I know a lot of people thought it was a very, a very interesting, a very interesting one to say the least as some very bold picks were made in the first three rounds. But Sam, I want to get your thoughts overall on your thoughts of how the NHL draft was being conducted. As I know you were covering the draft for um, Sportsnet and the NHL network for rounds two to seven. And I also have a really burning question. How good was the pizza on the network? Because I heard so (laughs) much about the pizza. So overall, um, what were your thoughts on, uh, on how the NHL did the draft this year?
1: You know, we uh, went into a rehearsal on the Monday evening, and uh, we were sitting there with, with Brian Burke and, and Mike Fuda, and, you know, after that rehearsal was over, we all kind of took a step back and said, well, I don't know if this thing's going to work. Like, it was not particularly uh, fluid, and so the three of us uh, sat down, you know, we had a drink afterwards, and we said, listen, we're we're just can going to do what we can do and control what we can control. So when we're asked to talk, we need to talk, um, you know, intelligently about the topics, uh, about the players, and all of the other logistical stuff will take care of itself. So we came into it with, with that attitude. And by the time we got to the draft on Tuesday, all the kinks had been ironed out and the NHL did an amazing job. When you consider having to go into 31 different war rooms, I think they had 44, 45, uh, Players' families that had agreed to have cameras in there. Uh, then you had going back to the NHL Network for for Bill Daly and the announcement of the pick, and then scattering um, in the United States to the NBC, and then to us uh, in Canada on Sportsnet. So there was a lot of moving parts, and you know, at the end of the day, we saw some delays that you could probably chalk up to to internet uh, connections. Um, it, it went off silky smooth. I was really, really, really impressed by how they were able to kind of put all those pieces together and and, and do it seamlessly. Um, I was really happy about that. In terms of the pizza on day two, they starved me out over there. All the guys at the network, in the NHL network, were getting pizza. I was at our studio in Toronto, and mm. we didn't anticipate having the, that long a day, uh, so there was really no um, – you know, nothing there for uh, for the three of us that were sitting in the room. We had a, a, an audio person, a camera person, and mm-hmm. and myself sitting in the room. And uh, I got a, a text message from a scout pretty early in the proceedings that said, uh, be prepared to be here seven 7.30. And so I shared that with our group, and uh, they were like, what? Um, you know, no one expected to be there that long. But, you know, being a little bit overweight, uh, I, missing a few meals didn't hurt me, that's for sure. Speaking of the 2020 draft, what were, in your
3: opinion, the biggest surprise picks and the biggest sleeper picks of the draft?
1: Um, well, you know, I, I tend to focus, especially when it comes to uh, to my work at Sportsnet, on, on on round one. So I guess a couple of things jumped out to me there. I mean, um, Igor Chinnikov, uh the pick from Columbus, obviously surprised me. I think there, you know, that went uh, semi-viral about. Uh, you know, just being pretty honest and, and not having done a ton of research on the player. Although, oddly enough, I, I did have him deep in my, in my notes. And uh, I had read something, you know, maybe a week before about Chinnikov, but just kind of glossed over it because I didn't think he would be in consideration for for round one. I thought that, um, that Tyson Forster went a little earlier than I thought, but I still believed he was going to be a first-rounder. I thought Cole Perfetti went, uh, going at 10 was a little later than I thought. Marco Rossi at nine to Minnesota was, uh, was later than I thought. Um, And then I look at, you know, for the first 15 or 20 picks, it it sort of went as I, as I expected, you know, there were some names maybe there that uh, maybe went, you know, and Reichel maybe a little bit higher than, than I had anticipated, but uh, you know, for that first round, Chinnikov was really the big surprise for me. And then maybe the placement of those four other uh, players that, you know, that I had mentioned, but. For the most part, um, I think, you know, the first round, you know, 20, 23 names, pretty predictive. Um, you know, the one surprise in there for sure was, was Chinnikoff.
2: Absolutely. As myself and the guys were watching and Columbus uh, having a, having a, a, honestly, when it came to this year, the first round was very deep in, in the high level of talent that was available because I'm pretty sure uh, uh, Jacob Peral. Again, like you said, Tyson Forrester were all available at 21, but they picked uh, Chinikov. So I hope for their sake, of course, he turns out to be a very good player. I believe he's in the KHL right now, or I, I saw the KHL, the VHL, somewhere in, that, in, in, in one of those leagues, and he's doing very well. So I, of course, hope for their sake that he turns out to be a great player. Now, Sam, I know the last time we had you on, I asked you a question about the Mississauga Steelheads, and we, and we talked a bit of, uh, about them overall as a franchise and the amount of, and, and the amount of great talent that, that has come out of the organization. You know, Nick Haig, Alex Nealon, Owen Tippett, and more. But regard, regarding, to the 20, regarding to the 2020 NHL draft, two notable Steelheads were primed to be selected somewhere in the draft. Um, one of them was Ulub Jorvik-Holm, a Norwegian defenseman who came in into his first OHL year. This past season, and he was selected in the fifth or sixth round, I believe by Columbus, and the other notable player was James Hardy from Innisfil, and he, in my opinion, put up great numbers over 30 goals in his second year in the OHL, and him and many other people, um, not just in the OHL, but in the Q, but, but in the Q League as well, didn't get drafted and and if I can say anything regarding James Hardy, he's a very talented player. And another guy in the OHL that was not picked up uh, from Guelph was Pavel Gogolev, who put up more than 90 points in Guelph. So I have to ask you, Sam, when it comes when it comes to those types of players, those really high quality players, and 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 in my opinion, it also seemed that maybe in the maybe in the CHL a lot of a lot of big guys or at least notable guys again like Pavel again like Pavel Gogolev weren't taken. So in your eyes. What happened to these guys?
1: Well, each of them has a bit of a different case. So for Gogolov, he was in his last year of eligibility, gone through a couple of times before. And when you you look at, uh, you know, seven rounds of the draft, oftentimes people are looking and trying to find that person that they know that they need to get their hands on and have their rights to versus the person that they feel that they would have a real good opportunity to invite to camp and not necessarily expend a draft pick on. So I think Gogolev fits in that category. You know, he'd been to a camp, uh, two camps previously, um, and then with that 96-point season with Guelph, people thought, all right, well, in his last year of eligibility, for sure, someone's going to take a look at him. Um, there are times, though, when you look at a player and you say to yourself, okay, some of the deficiencies in his game, those are the things that stick with you and they last. And so at at times the book kind of closes on players like that and they don't get the opportunity to, to, you know, say that they've got a new slate and they're doing things differently and they've grown and they've learned and they've become maybe that late bloomer type like Gogolev. So, you know, his case is entirely different. There's no doubt he'll get a chance uh, to go to a camp. And and in my mind, he'll he'll end up playing pro here in North America, at least give it a try for a while. And then whatever is presented to him thereafter uh, will be. And and that may very well end up being in the KHL. So I look at Bjork Holm, in comparison to James Hardy. And I say Bjork Vikholm plays in a position that's more highly coveted than where Hardy plays. And so you see a lot of things in Bjork game that, that you like and you know that he's a defenseman. And so you're saying to yourself, okay, I can see why he was picked 143rd, 145th, whatever it was, by Columbus. So then you compare that to James Hardy. I think he had 34 goals this year with Mississauga. And a lot of people looked at his play and said, all right, he, he can do that. But we feel that there are many deficiencies in his game aside from that, um, maybe so much so that we're, we're not going to expend a draft pick on him. We're going to see how he continues to progress and see if he can take care of business, you know, away from the puck, the details of his game, the defensive side of his game that uh, many scouts that I talked to felt were lacking in his game. Now, having said that, it can go two ways for a guy like Hardy. You can kind of hang your head and, and kick your lower lip around and be upset and, and be mad at the hockey world. Or you can use that as motivation to continue your hard work and to continue improving in the areas in which you need improvement. I think for Hardy, he's going to take that second roller and lean on the coaching staff of Jim, James Richmond and Jeff Grzakos there in Mississauga to kind of work on the areas of his game that need work. Um, he was a big topic for conversation for me in games that I watched in Mississauga simply because of that goal-scoring prowess and how it is a difficult – Element to find, um, but obviously the you know, thirty-one teams looked and said, "All right, there are too many deficiencies otherwise for us to take that chance." Uh, and again, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get a chance down the road. Look at Pavel Gogolev; he was very highly thought of, you know, going into this draft. And Igor Sokolov was drafted out of Cape Breton. You know, the guys who have been through second and third times often get drafted now when they when they didn't before if they can show that that type of progression. So those are you know, kind of the guys I, I look at there um, and just how you compare them and, and, and see maybe the different routes or the different ideas that scouts are thinking about when it comes to those players. And so, um, you know, again, for James Hardy, I hope he takes the second route. I hope he really leans on, on the resources available to him in Mississauga to continue his, uh, his play away from the puck, his play defensively, yet continue to be a prolific goal scorer so speaking of players
3: who didn't get drafted i wanted to get your input on a player we here at pro Shot have been very very high on that player is top 2022 draft prospect shane wright from the kingston Frontmax. so as we know he just played his first full season as an exceptional status player so we wanted to ask you what type of player would you describe shane wright as and what can we expect from him going forward
1: Well, he's supremely mature. That's the first thing that that sticks out to me in my experiences with Shane. I mean, even going back to his minor midget days, uh, I awarded him uh, with the GTHL Player of the Year at the OHL Cup Banquet. And you could tell pretty quickly that, uh, you know, he wasn't a kid who was a 14 or 15-year-old kid. He was mature well beyond his years. And so when I'm looking at Shane, that's that's the very first thing that sticks out in my mind. And so at that point, you're saying, all right, well, what kind of player is he? And I think the first half of the season, you, you understood that he was a good player. Um, and I think there were some question marks, is this guy an exceptional player? And then as the year wore on, he got comfortable playing with Zade Wisdom, and then Martin Chromiak comes over after the World Juniors. That line turns out to be one of the best lines in all the CHL, not just the Ontario Hockey League. But Shane had a lot to do with that in driving the play. For whatever reason – Maybe it was the comfort level he was feeling. Maybe it was understanding what Curtis Foster was, was preaching to him. Maybe it was the chemistry, you know, with the line mates for whatever reason, in the second half, he looked like that exceptional player. He was that good. You know, and I talked to a couple of coaches in the Eastern conference and just to get their assessment of what they thought of the player. And most of them felt that he was a really good player in the first half, but he was an exceptional player in the second half. So I think Shane is one of those guys who really can do it all. He can win face for He can score off the rush. He can play the, you know, the half-court game if you want him to play the half-court game and, and work off the cycle. He's a big-body kid, extremely mature, um, likes to be challenged by the by the coaching staff to get better on a daily basis. Uh, I think he's really well aware of what his responsibilities are when he doesn't have the puck, um, but a really, really smart player. So I'm looking forward to the, the opportunity to watch him again this year. I know he's been working hard uh, in terms of his off season stuff and preparation Um, that window obviously will have been extended and that will give Shane more time than any of the other exceptional players have had to prepare for their second season. So, you know, in, in a normal 68 game regular season, I would have projected Shane to to put up a hundred points depending on what that season looks like. Uh, if and when it starts in December, if not in January, you know, I'd have to say that a two-point-per-game uh, projection on Shane is, is definitely not out of line.
0: And we were talking about Shane Wright and how uh, he had an, ex- an amazing exceptional season, whether it's the points that he put up, his work ethic. Overall, I just think he's an amazing player. And I think that the three of us especially have thrown around the words franchise-changing player. Now, usually when we talk about franchise-changing players, we think of guys like Sidney Crosby. Alex Ovechkin, Connor McDavid with, it may be a little bit early, but with the way that Shane Wright plays so far, would you see him as a franchise changing player?
1: Well, I think so. I think that same term was, was used for Alexi Lafreniere too. And Lafreniere isn't the dynamic player that a McKinnon is or that a, you know, that a Connor McDavid is, but he is definitely a player that's going to step right in right away and be able to produce points. So I think the case for Shane is the same thing. He's going to be a lot like David, where because he was given the exceptional status entry into the league and that one extra year that he will have had along with all of the training time that none of those other players were afforded are really going to allow him after three years in the, in the CHL and the OHL with Kingston, to to be able to make that jump. So I do think he can be that type of player. I think he's a lot like Sidney Crosby in terms of the quiet confidence and the leadership qualities that he can bring to the table, but a lot like a guy um, who in terms of of what Sidney brings to the table is that he plays a two-way game, that he plays really hard, that he's extremely smart and highly, highly competitive. So I, I, I do think Shane Wright is that guy. I do.
2: Absolutely, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens come the twenty twenty two NHL draft because he's going to be competing for that projected number one spot with guys like Brad Lambert, guys like Matthew Savoie. So it's going to be very, it's going to be very interesting to see. Now, staying close to home, Ontario right now is on, well, or at least a couple of days ago, had over a thousand cases of COVID nineteen in Ontario, and the w, and as you said earlier today, uh, the, the WHL. Uh, extended their uh, start date to I think January 17th or some, yeah something along the lines of that and and the Quebec League in some parts of Quebec have had to stop play for a week or two because of outbreaks within teams and I know I uh, think uh, Blainville had had an outbreak but but like you said earlier the Maritimes are doing very well as they're mainly away from everyone in central Quebec that that is where the virus is is moving fast. Um, regarding the OHL and WHL, can you realistically see them having a season at all right now?
1: Well, the WHL, I think, has the the most challenges of any of the leagues. I mean, you're dealing with, uh, you know, four or five different provinces. You've got uh, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, you have Manitoba. Uh, Then you have to look at uh, what's happening in the United States, a couple of different states there uh, in the Northwestern United States. Uh, in Oregon and Washington. So they are extremely challenged because you're dealing with so many different health authorities and you're dealing with um, COVID cases that are drastically different in each of those regions. So there is a huge challenge there. But I think they've addressed that. They realized that, hey, we have these challenges. So we need to push back our date. And I think that was a wise move by Ron Robinson and the WHL. But I feel like coming out of Christmas, you have to give the kids some time you know, with their families, get them out there after Christmas, comfortable with their billets, test whatever kids you can, use the daily assessment models, allow the leagues to have more time, that extra month and a half, if you will, to be able to prepare uh, for what's going to happen going forward. And I can see the Western Hockey League playing games. They're going to do it regionally, of course, you know, stay within province, uh, the two Manitoba-based teams will hook up with uh, what's happening in Saskatchewan and, you know, and then Alberta and, and BC. And, you know, you've got uh, – you know, Saskatchewan in there to, to be able to play in, in essentially those, those different regions. So the United States division is an entirely different animal. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, that, of course, you've got the election coming up. So there might be some, some unrest, uh, some social unrest uh, in the Northwest United States, depending on what the uh, election results uh, come in as. Um, And now moving on to the Ontario Hockey League, they haven't announced a a changed start date to this point. Maybe they're going to take the approach of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League where you're going to say, all right, we're just going to get going and whatever happens, happens. Or they might take a more cautious approach and say, hey, we better hang back like the Western Hockey League, look for a modified schedule, give us more time to operate within the confines of of what the, the health professionals are telling us and move our date to January as well. You know, the one thing about Ontario is you're dealing with Michigan, which has obviously been hard hit. Pennsylvania has had its challenges as, as well, but the other uh, 17 teams are located in Ontario. So you're really only dealing with one kind of health authority or one premier, if you will. Uh, so the challenges aren't quite as a plenty for the Ontario hockey league. So in any case, the the way you look at it is obviously limiting the travel playing divisionally playing within the province Those are all things that are going to have to be considered and have to be adopted here moving forward. And, you know, what does that do in terms of the league records and so on and so forth? I think when we look back at this 10, 12, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to have asterisks beside everything in sport just for for what's happened. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this all plays out. But I do believe that there will be some sort of season in each of the other two leagues.
3: Absolutely. I hope we get to see CHL hockey this season and see what these prospects are made of. Sam, I wanted to ask you about the 2021 draft now that the 2020 draft is done and dusted. Who do you see as your top three prospects in the 2021 draft right now?
1: Well, Atu Ratti is the guy that, that many people are talking about as being that, that kind of centerpiece guy, that, that main guy, you know, he plays in, in Finland. Finland's had a real good run here. The last five six years in, in terms of uh you know producing high-end players um but really there's a lot of good guys i mean carson lambos uh, plays in winnipeg he's a really good player dylan gunther plays in edmonton brant clark and barry you look to zachary Bolduka and zach larue uh, that are playing out in the quebec major junior hockey league so i i think it's pretty wide open and we got the third edition of the hughes and luke hughes um but right now, I think Ratty's probably the guy who's sitting at the top of that list right now. I think about Mason McTavish or Brennan Othman, who I watched going back to his days, and Don Mills. Um, I mean, my goodness, there's, there's another wealth of talent, and there's pretty good um, talent right across each of the three uh, leagues in the CHL, which is obviously what I'm more focused on. So, um, you know, you got Cole Sillinger out west. Um, again, to, to narrow it down to three right now with the limited viewings of those players would be a difficult thing to do. I think Ratti is the guy who's kind of leading the way right now. Uh, but I think a lot is going to change between now and, and, and whenever the draft takes place.
2: Absolutely. Next year's draft is going to be very interesting indeed. And and just like you said, we have guys when it comes to the CHL, we have guys like Dylan Ganther and many more. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see um, who goes first overall or, 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 or who even goes in the top three. It's going to be very interesting. But next year should be a very, very good draft class. Now, Sam, I, as a personal Leafs fan, I have, to ask, I have to ask you a question about, in your opinion, how the Leafs went forward with their draft. As, my, as myself, if I didn't say myself, I, I would be an absolute hypocrite in this. But I personally thought we were going to maybe focus more on defense. And I, of course, had this mindset before we, before the Leafs made those big moves, getting TJ Brody, who just came off from Calgary in free agency, and Zach Bogosian, who just came off of winning a Stanley Cup with Tampa Bay, I believe. So, in your opinion, um, how like when it when it comes to the quality players and the prospects that they, they got, and they got some pretty good, and they got some pretty good ones. A lot, a lot from uh, Europe, which funny enough. But in your opinion, what did you think of how the Leafs tackled their uh, their picks so far?
1: Well, I think Kyle Dubas is a pretty clear plan on what he wants to you know, what he's looking for. I mean, skill is kind of the, the rule of the roost, I think, right now for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But everyone was sitting there and, and looking at Amarov as a, as a guy that they didn't really know a lot about. I was lucky enough to get to, to watch him play a bunch of times back in November um, and a guy that I was really fond of. So he fits exactly the bill that, that Kyle Dubas has drafted over his time uh, being in the GM or the AGM role. Uh, So no surprises there. Really good player, probably perfectly slotted at 15. Some would have had him as into their top 10. Um, So no real surprises there. But again, in the spot that was definitely worthy of, of the 15th pick in terms of the rest of Toronto's picks. You know, it's quite clear to me that they were intent on getting players that were playing and developing right now. Uh, and as you said, they went back to Europe. You know, the Hervonen was their second-round pick, was a guy that some people had projected to go in the first round. Niemela was another guy that um, would have sat in that same range too. He was their their uh, early third-round pick. So some guys there that, you know, people would have probably had higher on their list. When you go down the um, their list a little bit, there's a lot of players they selected that quite frankly, I just don't know a lot about, you know, having played in Europe. And when you get into the, the sixth, seventh round, those are guys that I've not paid a lot of attention to. I do know William Villeneuve quite a bit. Um, you know, one of a select few players to lead his team uh, in scoring last year in St. John as a defenseman. I spoke to their coach, Greg Gilbert, about him earlier this year. They were really high on him and really happy with him. Um, you know, obviously he's, he's a bit of a rocket kid who's, who's still a projection, but they, They like him a lot. And so when it comes to Toronto's grade for the 2020 draft, for me, it's an incomplete because I, I, there's a lot of players that they selected that I simply haven't seen play. um, You know, with most of those players um, having played in in Europe and and are currently playing in Europe.
0: And over the last couple of years, of of course, we've seen a lot of interesting results in the draft, whether it's, um, you know, picks that nobody would really expect or picks that, would eventually leave their mark on franchise history for various NHL teams. So the last question that I have for you is a big one within the last five years from, from 2015 until 2020, what what, is there a specific draft year that you would say is the most successful when it comes to skill and talent?
1: Well, we're not going to know the answer for, you know, for 2015, I think we can make a pretty fair assessment as to what's gone on there. Of course, Connor leading the way and, You know, he's, he's an unbelievable. He is really not just a a franchise changing player, but really a league changing player in in my opinion. Um, And so for me, it takes three to five years really to make that determination. So we're now getting what I think are complete results on, on what's happened in 2015. And you have to be very happy with this, with that class. A lot of people and myself included talked about the depth of the 2020 class, but you know, COVID might extend the window to make a proper determination on this class into 2024 or maybe 2025, whereas most other classes, we're looking at what's happened, you know, three years down the road and trying to make that uh, that assessment in that regard. So, uh, you know, I guess at this point, when you're looking at that, that those five years, really the only one you can kind of give a, a proper assessment on is what we saw in in 2015, and obviously we have to be very happy with the players that have come out of that class. 2016, you've had guys that have that have really made their mark, kind of at the high end. You know, Matthews. Everyone expected him to jump right away. Patrick a was known as a goal scorer going into the draft. He's done that. Um, you know, Pierre Luc Dubois, I think, is, is continues to be an emerging star. Um, you know, Pouliardv. He's a guy we can't really even get a proper read on yet, but we may be able to here in the near future. Ole lovey same thing. So you go down that list and you think about Charlie McAvoy and the impact he's had. Jacob Chickren has played a bundle of games already, um, you know, for, for a defenseman who was picked in the first round. Um, but again, it's somewhat of an incomplete look. You look at Riley tufty He hasn't yet to play NHL games. Lucas Johansson, is a, he was a late pick by Washington, the brother of, uh, of, the, of Johansson, um, you know, in Nashville. So – still kind of an incomplete mark on those guys. Uh, Logan Stanley was taken that year by Winnipeg somewhere in the, in the middle part of that first round. He's a guy that I have high hopes for, but also a guy who you projected take a little longer. So again, you can't make that proper assessment on him. Logan Brown's another guy who keeps getting these, these snippets of, of action with Ottawa yet. Hasn't been able to kind of break in as a regular, that opportunity will probably present itself this year for him. Um, but you've also had your, your guys like the, the Sergeyev's of the world who've already won a Stanley Cup. Uh, but still, from 2015, I think we can make a pretty fair assessment of how good that draft was. 2016, we're close. Still looking at a few of those first-rounders that to really have, have yet to make their mark. And I think 2017 and on, we can't make that determination to this point.
0: And that was Sam Cosentino on the Pro Shot Podcast. Sam, we wanted to thank you very much for joining us today, and we wanted to wish you the best of luck in the future. And uh, we hope to speak to you again.
1: Okay, Tyler, Alex, uh, Cameron, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, best of luck with the cast.